Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Now, who would have ever thought that fighting, arguing, would be such a great opportunity to do exactly what God wants us to do in a marriage? Submit and serve. Now, you don't have to wait till you're fighting and arguing to do those two words, do you? No, you, you can do submit, love, serve. You can do that when you're having fun and agreeing and enjoying, but that's easy. No, the real challenge, the real opportunity to do that is, is when there's a, uh, a disagreement. When there's a disagreement on the table, you know, that's really when we find out what God and His Word mean to us. That's when we find out if we're really growing in Christ's likeness. That's when we find out if the Holy Spirit really has control of our lives. Would you look with me today in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. Go ahead and get opened up there. We're going to be looking at verse 21 to 33. This is probably the, the longest and the fullest treatment of marriage uh, in the whole Bible. This passage that we're going to be looking at today, Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. And as you're turning there, if you're new to our church, welcome. We're sure glad that you're here. We are, where are we? We're on our fifth Sunday of seven uh, on a marriage series. So far, we've said marriage matters because it's God's design and it's what works for an individual, for a society. We've said marriage matters because we have not our only opportunity, but a very unique opportunity to grow in Christ's likeness. Uh, we've said that kids matter. And that wasn't really a parenting message per se. It was looking at the high value of kids gives the marriage a really high value task, a, a high value uh, purpose in it. Last week we said sex matters, and I'm not even going to sum that up. Just go listen to the message. And uh, today, I guess, kind of fitting the theme, we'll say fighting matters. So let, let's look at what God has to say about fighting. Now, let me go ahead and warn you, in this passage we're about to read, you're not going to hear the word fighting. You're not going to hear the word argue. You're not going to hear the word disagreement. But everything this passage is talking about sure has an opportunity to be used when we're fighting, arguing, and disagreeing. So let's look at that. Ephesians 5 verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, let me stop right there. You know it's going to be a long sermon. We got to stop on the first verse. So this is a big passage, and it's a passage that there's a, a lot of negative reaction to. We have to understand the context of what's being said. And the context is not just in verse 22 and following. The context begins here in verse 21. What is the context of verse 21? It is the command in chapter 5, verse 18. And that command is be filled with the Spirit. Be intoxicated with the Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That means what I'm thinking, how I talk, how I move, how I act. Everything about me is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's how the Christian life 
is lived. Now, this would seem to lead to a question every now and then, how do I know? How how do I know if I'm being controlled by the Spirit? And verse 19 to 21 gives three evidences that you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If these three things are not there, you might be good, you might be religious, you might be sitting in a church on Sunday morning, but if these three things aren't there, you're not under the control of the Holy Spirit. Two of these three things are vertical. One of these three things is horizontal. The two things that are vertical, you'll notice, you sing and you praise. You know, some of us in here would say, you know, singing's not my thing. That's not real natural for me. That's okay. We're not talking about what's natural to you. We're talking about what's natural to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit has control over you, what comes out is not what's natural to you, but what's natural to the Holy Spirit. So if he's in control, you're singing. If he's in control, you're praising. Not, not, just, not just Sunday morning. No, this just goes on all the time. And the second thing that goes on all the time, gratitude. I mean, it may be the worst day of your life. You still can't help but see God in his goodness. You still can't help but see God in his faithfulness. So gratitude. Praise goes up. Gratitude comes out. Those things may not be natural, but we're not talking about what's natural to us. Now, this third one, whoo, it's really not natural. Not for the singers. Not for the ones giving thanks. The third one is you're submissive. You're submissive. That's not a a male or a female thing, a married or a not married thing. That is a every follower of Christ thing. If the Holy Spirit has control of you, what becomes natural is putting others first. What becomes natural is yielding the floor. What becomes natural is serving others' needs before your own. Why is that a character quality that is evidence of the Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit's helping you follow Christ, and submission is a dominant character quality of the person of Jesus. Okay, so that's the context of what we're about to read. And it's like Paul's just made this big overarching comment about being filled with the Spirit. And now he says, hey, let's do this. Because this is hard. This whole submission thing, he knows nobody likes that. Nobody's saying, dear Lord, help me be more submissive. We're not praying that. And so he says, okay, let's start with the people (coughs) that you love the most. Let's go inside the house. Now watch this. Verse 22. Wives, here's how you submit. Verse 25. Husbands, here's how you submit. We're all submitting. He's going to put a little different angle on what that looks like. Now I'm only focused on chapter 5 today, but we go on to chapter 6, verse 1. Children, here's how you submit in the home. Chapter 6, verse 4. Parents, here's how you submit in the home. Let's go in the home where we really love each other and practice what we're to be doing for everybody. So you understand the context. All right, now let's read. Chapter 5, verse 22. And I'm not going to stop on every sentence. Chapter 5, verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. 
Verse 25, for husbands, this means you love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ feeds, cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now again, you'll notice you didn't hear the word fight or disagree, but if two people are married, if two people are living together, they're going to disagree, right? And the words that are used here, the challenge that is given here really becomes a challenge when we're disagreeing. Now, our, our, our disagreements can look very, very different. Uh, they're on a wide range from one couple to another couple. Guys, sometimes in our own marriage, an argument, a disagreement can look very differently. Some, you know, sometimes we fight and it's kind of cute. Other times we fight and, well, the neighbors call the police. So just FYI, if the neighbors call the police... Back up a few steps from that and tell yourselves we need help. Okay, You're, we're not ever to get to the place where we need the police. Okay, but but so we we've got all this kind of disagreeing that goes on, all kinds of different things. Do you know what the purpose of it is? The purpose of all all of this is to show Christ. That's that's the purpose of a marriage. That's what was just described here. We're going to show Christ. Yes, even when we're fighting. Oh my gosh, especially if you have kids in the house, right? Now, I didn't say only if you have kids in the house. No, that, that, that's your purpose if there's nobody in there but you. But my goodness, if kids are in the home, what, what, what an opportunity to show that, hey, when you disagree, here's what it should look like, a way that shows Jesus, to train them. You know, we talk about things we regret, especially when we were back on parenting a couple weeks ago. This would be a regret of mine. I wish I more intentionally, more purposefully would look at a disagreement as a chance to really show Jesus. And I'm, I'm guessing I'm saying this on behalf of all of us. When you're disagreeing, are you thinking about Jesus? No. No, you're not. You're not thinking about Jesus at all. You're thinking about what? What I want. What's wrong here? And yet, man, when... It, what an opportunity. Is the spirit in control? Can I come to a point of disagreement and say, hey, there's a bigger opportunity here? And if my kids are watching, to, to train them. I don't know about y'all. Sometimes when I, I, I watch my kids act their worst, two in particular, when they're acting their worst, they're acting just like me. And it's awful to watch. You know, I missed a chance, Right? Yeah, when it's heated, when we're not in agreement, what a point of training. There's so many bigger things going on than me and my 
way. The only problem is that's all we're kind of focused on is me and my way. No, the opportunity is to show Christ. And again, I might want to show what Jesus is like in all kinds of ways. You should, I should absolutely want to show Jesus in all kinds of ways. But what Paul does here is he gives each one in the marriage a specific assignment. Show Christ in all ways, but but wives, I want you to really show that word submission. And husbands, I want you to really show that word love. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I mean, I I think we all know we really kind of interact negatively with this passage because of that word submission. That is the word that just towers over this passage in such a negative light. I probably would put this passage in the top 10 passages that have led believers to walk away from God, to, to, to lead believers to walk away from the authority of God's word. Why don't we like that word? Why do we hate it so much? I think maybe, and I'm just guessing here, right? Maybe we hear that word submission and some very concrete images come into our mind. Images that are, are, are very, they're just very negative. You know, somebody that never gets their way, never has a voice, beaten down. That's submission, right? Whereas love, well, love also has very concrete images, but love can be kind of vague too. You know, I mean, as a husband, I can say, you know, I, I love pizza. I love, I, I love my, my favorite team. I love football. And, uh, oh, my wife. I love my wife, right? Wait a minute. Does that sound like an equal assignment? She has to submit and I have to love her like I love pizza? I mean, I, I wonder, is that why people react so negatively? God's put the heavy lifting onto the woman. God maybe doesn't even think that highly of women. And that's why he said, hey, ladies, he's always right. And you just need to respect that and get, get in line. Is, is that what God is saying? No, no. I forgot how many questions I just asked there, but it was no to all of them. Okay, no, no to every one of those questions. No, that, that, that's not what God is saying. You say, how do you know what God is saying? Because Jesus is submissive. Jesus is submissive. Do you think Jesus is inferior? Do you think Jesus has no thoughts or ideas? Do you think Jesus can never be right in their relationship, you know, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you see a parallel structure. As Jesus is to the father, so the wife is to the husband. And clearly in that relationship, Jesus is not inferior. He's not less than. As a matter of fact, the scripture is very clear. He is co-equal. He is co-eternal member of the Godhead. So God's whatever, we're, and we're going to try to figure it out, whatever God is saying about being submissive, it's not something negative. It's not something that means you're less than. Here's another example. Not only does Jesus submit to the Father, Jesus submits to you. Can you imagine the king of all kings yields the floor to you? When did Jesus, when did Jesus submit to me? What do you think he was doing on the cross? You think he was serving his need on the cross? You think he was putting himself first on the cross? He just made you bigger than him when he went to the cross. And you 
are not superior to Jesus. You are not always right and he's wrong. So again, these natural ways that we might look at that word submission, they're wrong. They're not the way the Bible is using it. They're they're not the way that Jesus illustrates it and demonstrates it. So wives have been given the the function of picking up this word. Remember, we're all going to submit in the home. But he's saying, wives, I want you to pick up this word, and I want you to show the family what it looks like when the king of all kings submits. This is your function in the marriage. This is your function in bringing about oneness. This is your function in uh, showing Jesus. Hey, this is your function in making the marriage work. We all play a role. We have a function. It's not a statement of status. Now, when I say that, the word submit literally means to line up according to rank or to be under the authority of. It's a word about function, not status. Okay? So it's the function that I play. Now, in a marriage, okay, you're hopefully you're going to agree a whole bunch of times, Right? But sooner or later, you're not. And every now and then, I mean, we we can argue, we can fight, we can talk nicely, we can talk not nicely, we can pray about it. And sometimes we're still just in disagreement. We're just not getting to that place of agreement. But now all of a sudden, a decision has to be made. We have to call the bank today. We have to call the school today. We have to let them know whether we're going or not, whether we're going to do this or not. I mean, a decision now has to be made. And at that point, here's what submission looks like. You've made the decision. I will trust and I will follow. Now, why would you say that? Because God has put the home on the shoulders of the husband. He ultimately will bear responsibility. I think it's not quite fair because when Karen and I are standing before the Lord and we went a wrong direction, God just gave her permission to go, I did what you said. It's all on him. And and it is. It is the husband's responsibility not to be right all the time. This passage has nothing to do with being right all the time. It's the husband's responsibility to make sure this marriage, this family, this home is obedient and faithful to the Lord. That we are what God wants the home to be. We're doing what God wants the home to do. And the husband doesn't do that all by himself. He has a helpmate. He has a wife that comes alongside and helps him to do that. So that together they accomplish God's desire and will for a home. And again, ideally, they're going to agree a whole bunch doing that. But when they don't, she, she says, I will trust you and I will follow you. And what does that look like? Well, it, it says here, it, just in the same way that the church submits to Jesus, so the wife submits to the husband. You, you, you trust and follow Jesus, so you trust and follow your husband. And I tell you what, even as a husband, I think of that and I think, well, that doesn't seem very fair, Lord. I, I mean, we can trust Jesus, right? I mean, we don't like everything Jesus says. You say, well, I love everything Jesus says, really. How about this? Submit. Oh, well, I mean everything else. Forgive. 
No, there, there's a lot of commands. I don't, I, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand this situation. Uh, you know, I, I love you and respect you, but, but not here. When you say, but not here, you just define the place. You're not God, and you're not telling me what to do. But, but if I'm growing in the Lord, right, then hopefully I'm growing past that mentality. And even when Jesus is asking me tough things that I don't like, that I don't understand, I'm trying to trust, I'm trying to obey, and I'm saying, Jesus, I believe you're right, I believe you're good, and I believe you're out for my best interest. Okay, but in that parallel structure, can my wife say the same thing about me? I know Randy's always right, and I know he's out for my best interest. Well, I am always right, just to be clear. No, I, I can look back over 36 years of marriage, and I've, I've led us at times to do some things that ended up not being a, a great decision. So if, if Karen's looking at a track record, she can't say, I'm going to submit because he's always right. She can't even say, I'm going to submit because he always has my best interest in mind. I probably made the case that I did. It goes on inside you too. You know, I'm, I'm, at, the, at the end of the day, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm doing what I feel comfortable doing. I feel what's inside my personality, what's inside my preferences. And I know how to dress it up and make it sound like I'm doing this is all for. No, I'm just doing what I want. I mean, hey, we, you, you know, when we look at Jesus, he's never leading just on what he wants. He's leading with our best interest in mind. And yet Karen, a wife, is called to submit when she can't fully trust those things. And that's why I always say, husbands, it should scare you just a little bit when you realize she's submitting. This isn't her preference. This isn't her way. She may even be a little bit more passionate about this than you, but you won. It should scare you a little bit when somebody trusts you. And follows you. What do I mean by scared? If I'm walking into something and I'm a little scared, what am I? I'm careful. Boy, I better be careful about what I'm leading her, what I'm leading us to do. Because she's doing what God said. And that actually does mean this now is on me. Then two words that make this really difficult. We think submission's the big word. I think those in everything. How about that one? Wives, submit to your husbands in everything. So big question here. Does everything mean everything? Yes, no. <laughs> Which is it? Well, you know, I'm riding the fence here. Give me a break. No, in everything is in the context that the wife is called to submit. And that is in helping the husband be and do what God wants the home to be and do. Helping the marriage accomplish what God has called the marriage to do. You know what God hasn't called the marriage to do? Sin. Hadn't called the marriage to sin. So you're not required to submit if he says, hey, I want to involve another woman in our relationship. What do you think? Will you submit to that? You don't have to say yes to that. You, you don't have to submit to beating, to abuse. You, you don't have to submit to lying. No, we don't submit to sin. And which is strange is that while it's been used that way a lot, we actually do live in a culture now, right? That says all you do to love is support somebody in their feelings, even if it's wrong. 
No, you're not loving somebody if they're choosing to do something wrong, if they're sinning. Now, the question becomes, this is where it becomes real difficult, how do you say no when you're submitting? How do you say no, I'm not, I'm not going to submit to sin? You know how you do it? With respect and submission. What do I mean by that? Well, okay, so we see that the, the, the same people here. I mean, Paul says submit. He also says submit to the government, but then he disobeys the government when they say don't speak the name of Jesus. So what, what does he do? What does Peter do when they're saying we submit to the government, but here's where we say no, when God's way comes first, right? But when I say no, it's because I've said yes everywhere else. You see, our problem is all we're looking for is exceptions. Where are all the places I don't need to do what God has said to do? I don't need to do. Folks, it's where are all of the places we say yes? Where are all of the places that we're doing what God said to do? It needs to be from a platform of submission to the government that we say no to the government. It needs to be from a platform of submission and respect that you say no to your husband when you've been saying yes to your husband. That's tricky. I don't think it can be answered solely from the pulpit. I think that takes a lot of prayer and maybe even sometimes some some good biblical counsel. So in everything, yes, everything that God's called the marriage to be and do, you submit, you follow, you support, you respect and serve his leadership. Husbands, what are you called to do? How do you serve? Well, it says, lo- it says love. Love her. But then that word love is expanded to two other words, serving and headship. You know, so we said a moment ago, love can be kind of vague. You know, I love pizza and football and I, I love my wife. Well, which one of these kinds of love are you talking about, Paul? And Paul says, oh, let me make real clear how you're to love her. And he points to what? Points to the cross. L- love her like that. that. That's what your love should look like. Now, let me ask you a question. When you look at the cross, do you see a bully? When you look at the cross, do you see somebody that says, oh, I don't care, whatever you want? Now, why do I ask those two questions about the cross? Because those are the two ways that men abandon their call in the home. One way we abandon this command is we are MIA. We're missing in action. We abdicate leadership. I think there's a variety of reasons that we do that. Don't know, didn't have a good example. Uh, some of us think we're virtuous. I've actually, usually this is in premarital counseling. Uh, I'll have the guy say, no, I, I, don't, I don't do that whole headship and submission thing. And you know, he's waiting for applause from his bride. And I say, I'm going to be fully disobedient to the Lord. I'm not going to do what he wants me to do. <laughs> Sometimes they think they're being virtuous. What they're What they're saying is, I don't have a clue what the scripture says, or I've misunderstood what the scripture says, so I'm not going to do that. But I find most of the time, we're just lazy. It's hard work. It's hard work to lead a home. Not just lead a home, but lead a home under the Lord. It's hard work, and we don't want to do the hard work, so we say, "You you just do it. I'll take care of the work thing, and you take care of everything else. And so we're missing in action. 
And, and then the other wrong way we go with this is we, we literally use the Bible to abuse and to dominate and say, I'm right because God said so. I don't know about y'all. I think that's going to be kind of interesting to get to heaven and see people who've held up God's word as their authority for being abusive and dominating and, and mean. God did not ordain you as the one who's always right. God did not ordain you. Say, you know what? There's somebody who I always want to get their way. That's why he said, look at the cross. Is Jesus getting his way when he's on the cross? Love her like that. You you know, God did not give us headship to serve our own needs. He gave us headship to serve the needs of the home. You know, in my home, There's a wife and there's kids. I mean, kids have all grown up, but y'all get what I'm talking about. And you know, the great need of their lives is to walk with the Lord. And I know as far as it relates to me, he's given them all a command. He told her to submit to me. He told them to obey me. Hey, I want them to know the power and presence of God in their life. I want them to know the blessing of God in their life. I want them to walk in obedience. Leadership is not me making them do that. Leadership is me creating the best environment where they understand why they're doing what they're doing. And it's easier to do what they're doing. Because you know what? Submission isn't easy. Obeying isn't easy. You know how I know? Because I don't want to obey and I don't want to submit. These aren't easy things to do. So as a leader, as the head, I want to create the environment where that is easy as possible. I am to call the kids to obey. I see that throughout Scripture. You know what I don't see is where God says, husbands, tell your wives to submit. You realize who calls her to submit? God calls her to submit, not you says, as unto the Lord. She's serving the Lord. She's obeying the Lord when she submits. She's not obeying me. It's unto the Lord. I don't call her to submit. I create the environment where she can. You know, another way to think about leadership is initiate. Initiate. The person who takes the first step So what does God want in the home? What does he want it to look like? What does he want it to feel like? Man, he wants there to be forgiveness. If I realize that, hey, in our home there's some tension, we're not all on the same page, my job is to initiate the giving and the receiving of forgiveness. The husband's, hey, communication is needed. The husband's job is to initiate those first words. Words that want to lead others to speak and have value in their speaking right? You see, whatever is needed in the home, the husband takes the lead, the husband initiates in making that happen. And I I think my favorite part of this passage is there at the end of verse 25, verse 26, verse 27. That's the result of a husband's leadership. Now, what, what do you find there? Well, what you find there is a whole bunch of phrases that are profoundly deep in theology. There's a lot going on in verse 26. Jesus leads the church, and the result is washing by the water of the word and spotless and blameless and, and holy. And I don't know about you guys, but I look at that and I go, huh? How? What? What? 
Okay, I understand you do that, Jesus, but how would I do, how do I make my wife holy and spotless and but? So I'm not going to dive in today to all of the theology of those phrases. I'm just going to sum all those phrases up in one sentence. You know what all that means? After Jesus got done leading, I was beautiful. I was beautiful inside and out. Beautiful to who? To God the Father. Jesus made me beautiful. Jesus made me a treasure before the Father. Husbands, what's your wife look like after you're done leading? Is she beautiful? Is she a treasure? Is that that what she feels? What is she experiencing? What is she feeling when you're done leading? It's important. If I'm going to claim that, hey, at the end of the day, this is the way we're going, I need to know what this ought to look like when it's all said and done. What does she look like? You know, Karen and I, when we were, were first married, the first church I went to, I was a singles pastor, so I was friends with a lot of single people, and uh, we had a, a couple that was getting married that we were really close to. We're still real good friends with them today, and, uh, but we were married. They were, they were still single, getting married, and uh, we, I was, had them on a singles retreat. We were going skiing up in Snowshoe, West Virginia, and the, this guy, we were, we were sitting on a ski lift, and, and we were go- going up the slope there, and, he, and we were having some deep conversation, and he says, he says, Randy, how am I supposed to lead her? Now, the context of that question is she was just profoundly strong in the Lord, way, way beyond her years. And, and in, in our church, she was a, a young adult life group teacher. She was a soul winner. Uh, she served in a variety of ways. I, I'm a young lady. Everybody respected her walk with Christ. Still true today, by the way, some 30 plus years later. Just profoundly walked with God. And so his question was, how do I get out in front of that? Absolutely natural, logical question that is entirely wrong. You see, the question implies that to be the head, to lead, I've got to be better at her in everything. I've got to be more than her in everything. Folks, that's not what God's designed. That's not what he's saying. That the husband has to be better at faith, better at prayer, more knowledgeable of God's word. Man, if that was the case, some of us could never get married. I mean, that's not what he's saying. It's not, remember I said earlier, it's about function, not status. See, that's what his question was. By the way, there was absolutely nothing wrong with him in his walk with the Lord. She just was way out there. Hey, you know what? And in my relationship, in my marriage with Karen, there's things she's better than me at. And I'm not just talking about taking care of things or taking care of... No, there's things in following and serving the Lord she's better than me at. You know what I do? I initiate at making sure that's being done in our marriage. And, and initiating may mean, Karen, you got this, right? Yeah. Leadership doesn't mean... Now, step aside, honey, because you know I'm just a little better than you at this. By the way, that's not just a definition of leadership in the marriage. That's a definition of leadership anywhere. A leader isn't a leader because they're better than everybody else. I can't think of a better place than the Heights Baptist Church. I believe I am the God-ordained leader 
of this church. That does not mean I have the most faith of anybody in this church. That doesn't mean I'm the most obedient person in this church. It doesn't mean I'm the end-all, be-all of all the knowledge of Scripture in this church. I actually look out there and I see them. They're better in God's Word. They're better at obedience. They're better in serving. They're better with the gospel. I see that all throughout this. I just take the initiative to make sure we're creating an environment where you can run to the glory of God. That you can be you, you can do what God's enabled you to do. So being a leader has never meant I'm better than everybody behind me. Not one bit, and certainly not in a marriage. So how do you fight? Look at Jesus. How do you communicate? Look at Jesus. How do you love? Look at Jesus. You know that those three words, look at Jesus, kind of cliche-ish, aren't they? When it's a cliche, that means we all go, yes, look at Jesus. Amen, Pastor. <laughs> we all agree. It makes us have a warm fuzzy in our tummy. And then we go home and do absolutely nothing because we actually don't have any idea what look at Jesus means. So let me explain what it means. Look at Jesus. Because that's what Paul says here, right? Look at what he did. Now, you don't have to just go to the Gospels. There's a real confusion that we only see Jesus in the Gospels. If you want to understand who Jesus is, start on Genesis, first page, and go to the end of Revelation. It's all Jesus. But yes, you can certainly start in the Gospels where you're watching him engage in arguments and tension. You can watch him engage where forgiveness needs to be given. You can look at those and go, okay, that that gives me some kind of idea about what I'm supposed to do here. How about this one? Hey, Jesus, when can I quit? When can I quit? Because they're not doing their part. I'm I'm doing my part. I'm really trying. I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. But I'm doing my part, and I don't think they're doing their part. I know none of y'all have ever thought that, right? Of course you think it. I've done my part. They're not doing theirs. I mean, Jesus, surely there's a, a place where we draw the line in that, like, healthy boundaries or something. Where, where, where can I quit? You know, I was thinking about this. I've been following Jesus for 41 years. And I wonder how many times Jesus recently could roll his eyes, look at the father and say, I've done my part. He's sure not doing his. Hey, father, do you see how much I've done? I've done everything you asked me to do. Look what he's doing for me. I don't know about y'all. I really, Jesus, I, I still need Jesus to be Jesus every day. I need all his mercy. I need all his patience. I need all his forgiveness. I need Jesus to be really devoted to not quitting at being Jesus with me. And as you've heard me say throughout this series, you're only required to do for your spouse what you are utterly dependent upon Jesus doing for you. Know the assignment. In every argument, in every decision, in every conversation, understand the assignment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray our marriages show Jesus. I pray our marriage is literally our best opportunity 
to be a witness for you. Before our kids, before neighbors and friends, before everyone at church. Our marriage gives us the best opportunity to talk about how beautiful and good and right and pure is your word and all of its instructions. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.